Good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 9. We're in Daniel 9. Guys, we are kind of like that last third of the book or last quarter of the book. We are really making headway here. And we are Daniel 9. uh, the, The next week's passage, the end of Daniel 9, is actually one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to understand in the Bible. Okay, so next week, if you want to hear that sermon, make sure you come out to that. But we have the first half of Daniel chapter 9 is this week. And what I love about Daniel chapter 9, the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, is, is that I, we can all relate to Daniel in this moment. For example, how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you have ever read the Bible and been confused? Anybody? I'm raising my hand, all right? If you've not raised your hand, please talk to me because I need to talk to you. You can help me understand some scripture. But, but there's something about reading scripture that, that, that for Daniel, when he was reading the Bible, he was like, whoa, what, what is going on here? And, and I want us to read the first three verses to kind of get an understanding of what was going on in, in Daniel's life that I think we can relate to that led him to pray this prayer that we see in verses 4 to 19. Look what it says in verse 1. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now let me just explain what's going on. Dan, there, there has been a there's been a event that has triggered Daniel asking questions about God. And the, and the event is this. The event is that the Babylonian Empire has fallen. There is now a new kingdom in charge. Remember, Daniel's already had these visions of the statue of the beast. He sees God's word coming to fruition. But it's not just about, it's, it's about the nation of Babylon falling that led him to search the scriptures, specifically Jeremiah the prophet, the law of Moses, and some other things. And what has happened is he has read in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 20, or yeah, Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, he reads that, w- that the Israelites or that the Jewish people will be in captivity for 70 years. And then after Babylon falls, then there will be, then they'll go back to Jerusalem. Now, notice the Babylon Empire's fallen. And so there's a couple questions that Daniel is running through his mind, right? The questions, I believe there's two major questions he's asking. God, is the 70 years, did the 70 years begin in 605 BC when I was brought to captivity, when the first batch of people came, or was, is the 70 years when the fall uh, or the destruction of the temple? Is it, is it really soon or is it not? And if ba- it's supposed to be when Babylon falls and there's a new kingdom, why aren't we going back? Like, what is going on here, God? Now, I want you to see these verses that have, have really influenced Daniel's thinking. Listen, this is one of these sermons. I wish we had the time to visit every single one of these. One of these days, I'm going to just preach a two-hour sermon. And we're going to do it on a we're going to do it on a Sunday night. We're going to call it a Puritan service, and we're just whoever wants to come can come and just hear a two hour sermon. Because I tell you, there's a lot of things I cut that's on the on the editing floor for this week. But but he went through Jeremiah 25, where Jeremiah says they'll be in the in captivity for 70 years. But it says Jeremiah was consulting the books. Well, the other books are Leviticus, 
And Leviticus 26, verses 18 through 28, foretells the time when the people of Israel will go in captivity, talking about the blessings and the curses. And in this passage, four times, it says that if the people of God do not repent when they're in captivity, the punishment will be sevenfold. Okay? So I believe either there's two questions that Daniel's trying to figure out that most scholars believe that he's, try, he's beseeching God for. Either A, when did the 70 years begin? Or B, God, did, we're still in Babylon. The Babylonian Empire has fallen. Has, the, has this sevenfold punishment kicked in? Right? He is desperate. So not only that, you have Deuteronomy chapter 4, which foretells the rebellion of the people of God, but also the restoration back to Jerusalem. And then you have the Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. When Solomon prays this prayer that says, God, if we ever turn away from you and we go into a distant land, that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray that you will restore us. These are all verses and texts that influence Daniel's mind. They influence his prayer. And so Daniel is, is trying to figure out, God, what is going on here? He's seeking the Lord. And you can understand why he is seeking the Lord about the Jewish people, about his chosen people. Because here's what Daniel has. Remember, this is the first year of Darius. He has already had the two visions that we talked about uh, previously, chapter 7 and 8. It's during the reign of Belshazzar, which was the, king of, the last king of Babylon. He's already dreamed about the four beasts. He's dreamed about the goat and the ram. Dan talked about that last week. There's all these visions that deal with other nations in the world. And for Daniel, he's saying, God, what about us? God, what's happening to your special people that are called by your name? And so Daniel right now in this moment is desperate. He's desperate for answers. He's desperate for God to do something. Because what he doesn't want is for the, four, the 70 years to turn to 490 years. He is asking God, God, what are you going to do in this moment? You've got to do something. And I believe this with all my heart, that there are times in our lives that we are desperate for God. You might be desperate for God because of your own situation, your own struggle with sin, your own struggle, you're battling addiction or depression, or there's just tragedy that has struck your life, and you're desperate to God for answers. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're desperate for your family or someone close to you, someone that you love is going down a path that is, that is destructive. And you see the spiritual warfare going around them and around you and you're saying, God, we are desperate for you to help us. Maybe, again, we, we've been talking about the, the nations. The, the Daniel's a very you know, applicable book dealing with the nations. That's what's going on in our world today. And maybe you're looking around at the nation around us, the nation we live in, and you're saying, God, we are desperate to see you work in our land again. There's a glorification of sin. Babylon is hitting Main Street. And God, we want to see you work and move like you did in the past. All of us. All of us, at some point, whether it's now or it's in the past or you'll be in the future, that there will be times when you are desperate for God. And this prayer that Daniel gives in Daniel 9, I believe, is a template that he gives to his people that says, when you're desperate for me to move, 
pray like this. Right? There's so many. Think about all the different prayers that people have prayed over the years. All the prayers that, that are recorded in Scripture. Why this prayer now? I believe in the moment in this book, why Daniel records this prayer is because, God, I want to see you work and move in ways that you said you were going to move and work in, your, in the Word. And, and he's desperate. And for those of us who are desperate for God, we've got to pray prayers like this that move God and that change us. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's my main idea, that if we're going to thrive in Babylon, if we're, going to, if we're going to make sure that Babylon doesn't overtake our hearts, it doesn't discourage us, that when desperation hits our life, we're going to thrive in Babylon by praying prayers that move God and that change us. And that's exactly what happens in this, in this text. Exactly, because as soon as Daniel praises, verse 20, an angel responds, and then we get the information, we get this prophetic utterance that we'll get into next week. But God hears this prayer, and he responds to this prayer to Daniel. So let's just read this prayer. I want you to see the desperation that he has here, right? So verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession, saying, God, O oh, oh Lord, a great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people in the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and has turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse an oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself at, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem. 
and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Do you sense the desperation? Do you sense this desire that, that Daniel has to say, God, I want to see you move again. And that is what we need today. We need people. We need followers of Jesus, people that are going to call themselves followers of God, who will look at this prayer and say, that's the kind of prayer that needs to be prayed today. Amen? That's what we need to be, a people who are desperate for God to move. And so this template that Daniel gives to us is a template that I'm going to challenge you to pray the, this kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer, as I was reading it and studying it this week, I started praying this prayer this week, using this template as a means to beseech God to say, God, I want to see you work and move again. And so what we see to pray prayers that move God, number one, praying prayers that move God are anchored in God's promises. Praying prayers that move God and change us are anchored in God's promises. A numerous times we see uh, him saying, uh, you know, written in the law of Moses, twice he says that, right? Verses 11 and verse 13. He refers to, hey, this is what you said, right? But more than that, he actually takes, Daniel takes verbatim words, phrases, in the scriptures and praise them again in this prayer. For example, in Daniel chapter 9 is almost uh, verse 4 is almost verbatim Daniel or Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 and 1 Kings 8:23. Daniel chapter 9 verse 5 is shaped by 1 Kings 8 verse 47 where he says these these four major terms for for sin. And then Daniel chapter 9, verses 16 through 19, we see number 6, verses 24 through 26. 1 Kings 8, 46 through 53. And Jeremiah 32, 20 through 21. Daniel is praying scripture. He's praying the promises of God. He's saying, God, you, you love it when we pray, but here's what I know. You're, you love your word. And what gets your attention is your word. You said this, God, and you're a God of truth. And when we repeat your art, the words you gave us back to you, I believe that gets your attention. I believe that's what you want to hear, that the word of God is in our hearts. And now we're praying it back to you. God loves it when we do that. You know, I, I had an English professor when I was in college. Uh, she was a sweet old lady. Her name was Mrs. Williams. And she taught grammar. And, you know, whenever you're in, you know, in college, you get to take studies where you get to actually study something that you're interested in. But you, the first couple of years, you got to take the gen eds, you know, the general education classes. You got to get through the sciences and the, all the history and grammar and stuff so you can study what you really want to study. And I was not a huge fan of English and grammar, but it was one of those classes you had to take. And so uh, Mrs. Williams, sweet, sweet older lady, but we figured out, me and a couple of the guys that were in that class with me, we figured out that Mrs. Williams loved the Atlanta Braves. 
And so what we would do is Mrs. Williams would take prayer requests before class, but before we get there, we'd raise our hand. Mrs. Williams, what do you think the Braves are going to do this year? Mrs. Williams, have you seen the standings? And what about spring training? And we, about a couple times a week, we'd ask Mrs. Williams about the Braves. And we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt we could kill 15 minutes of class by asking about the Atlanta Braves. And he, because here's what we knew. Mrs. Williams loved the Braves more than she loved teaching English. <laughs> and so, listen, those of you who are young, please do not t- apply that. That's just something I regret deeply. <laughs> but here's what I know. God loves it when, we, when he hears his word come from our lips. He loves it. Gets his attention. And I was, I was, a couple weeks ago, I was reading my devotions and you know, we're doing this One Life Blessed Challenge, and it's encouraging to see what God's doing. We had, we had over 100 people sign up for that, and, and it's just been exciting to hear some of the stories that are coming out of these things. And, and so we're asking God, give us opportunities to share the gospel. Give us opportunities to proclaim your word to people who are close to us and far from God. And in my devotions in 1 Thessalonians verse one, chapter 1, verse 5, it, Paul's talking about when he went to Thessalonica and he planted this church in Thessalonica, he was there for about three weeks and planted this church. And you're like, how did that happen? And he describes in verse 5, he says, because when our word came to you, talking about the word of God, it came to you in power, with the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. I love that. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, man, that's what I'm praying for my, for my blessed people. That's what I'm praying for the people who are close to me and far from God. I want the opportunities when I share the gospel with the people who are close to me but far from God. God, I want to come with power. I want to come with the Holy Spirit. I want to come from full conviction. You see, the word of God needs to shape our prayers. When we pray, do we pray anchored in God's promises? Not only do I think it needs to shape what we say, but I believe this, it, it helps us, I think it increases our faith, right? It increases our faith to believe, God, your word said this. You know, notice again, Daniel refers to according to the law of Moses twice, verse 11, verse 13. He's saying, according to your word, we are in captivity. We, you know, you've been faithful to your word to punish us, to discipline us. And now... I'm going to appeal to your word to act and move now on our behalf. That's why he cries out for his mercy. Why he's in, the, in those last few verses you heard Christian read this morning, we just spoke, uh, uh, read, there's a desperation. Oh, Lord, act. You've got to do something. Don't hesitate. What gave Daniel that kind of boldness? Well, th- there's a couple things. I'm just going to read them for you. You'll have the verses on the screen. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, listen to the, the, this is what Moses declared uh, you know, centuries ago. It says, when you're in tribulation and all these things, talking about the curses, come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. See, Daniel reads that and says, God, you said that you would come back and visit us. You said you would restore us to the land. He reads it again in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 42. It says, if they, talking about the people of God, when they are in captivity, if they confess their iniquity, 
in the iniquity of their fathers, in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that, they, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember the, my covenant with Jacob, I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land." See, I believe what the Word of God should do to us is read these kinds of things, read the promises of God, read the the benefits that we have in Christ Jesus, and say, God, you said you would do this. God, you said that all power in heaven and earth has been, all power and authority has been given to you. And so, God, when I'm praying, I'm praying that, God, there is a power and there is an authority that I'm crying out to that you do something, Jesus. That's the kind of desperation we need to have. The desperation that goes to God's word and gives us the faith to pray boldly the things to God that we're desperate about. Man, and when we pray, pray prayers that move God, we pray prayers that are anchored in God's promises. Let the word of God shape your prayer. That's number one. Number two, praying prayers that move God and change us acknowledge the depth of our sin. Praying prayers that move God and change us acknowledge the depth of our sin. It says there in the beginning, we see Daniel is approaching God. There is, there is fasting, there's sackcloth, there's ashes. He, he, let's just put, let's again, put the desperation. Daniel believes, God, have we missed the window of the 70 years? Has it been a sevenfold now punishment because we have not confessed? Because we have not repented. And so Daniel takes it upon himself to say, God, if no one else is going to do this, I need to do this. And he is praying desperately to God. And if, as I read this prayer this morning, there should have been a theme that you saw or that you heard over and over again. And the theme that you heard mentioned 20 times was Daniel acknowledging the sin of his people. 20 times. He's saying, God, we have sinned greatly against you. God, we have broken your covenant. In fact, in verse 5, look at verse 5. We have sinned, we have done wrong, and acted wickedly, and rebelled. In that one verse, again, he's quoting here another passage of Scripture, but in that one verse are the four major words that the Old Testament uses for sin. And this is what Daniel's saying. God, we've done it all. We've broken everything. We have sinned greatly against you. Because what, what Daniel knows is that when reading God's word, he says, when you humble yourself, if you humble yourself, remember the prayer that Solomon gave at the temple. If my people who are called by my name turn towards me and humble themselves, Daniel knows, God, we, we don't deserve your blessing. We don't deserve your goodness. And God, we are desperate to see you forgive us of our sins. And Daniel is praying this prayer of confession and repentance. And this is a great reminder for us because for us, we've got to make sure that in our desperation, we do not get demanding with God. Have you ever been demanding with God? Right? God, hey, hey, this this over here, this ain't going to cut it. You got to fix this problem over here, God. 
I mean, I don't like this going on. This is uncomfortable for me. This is, this is hard. God, this is disrupting my life. God, this is, this is, God, you got to fix this. And many times, our desperation turns to demanding. And I, years ago, when I was working in retail, I worked at Sears Shoes. And one of the things, someone laughed I worked at Sears Shoes. Can, he's like, I can't see you ever putting a shoe on. I was good at it. Just teasing. Um, but one of the things that drove me crazy about Sears was that over every register, you know, a, a, those who are young, Sears is like, it's like Walmart, but maybe a little better. That's the best way I can describe it. But there's these depart, department stores, and you have these departments, you kids and women's and men's, and I worked in the shoes. I sold shoes. And so above every register that was in the different departments, they would put in, in lettering above the register, customer service. I'm like, why are you doing that to me? Like, people would come, you know, customer service is that department that you go to that, you know, I've got a problem with my bill. We are, we're salespeople, but what they want to do is we want to be customer friendly, so they would put these customer service signs everywhere. But people would come to us and try to help us to try to help them fix problems that we really were not prepared for. It didn't know how to help them. But it was always one of these things where people would come and they thought this was the customer service department. You know, they have this very demanding spirit like, hey, hey, there's a problem. You did something wrong or this is something, you know. And we would have to deal with the anger or the frustration of people because it said customer service. Well, let me just say this. When we go to God, he is not the customer service department. Okay? He is the God of heaven and earth. We do not deserve his blessing. We have sinned greatly against God. You and I, when we fully understand the depths of our sin, man, the fact that God would, would send his son for us. But, but, but Daniel is praying, and he is aware of the sin, but what I love about Daniel's awareness of the sin is he doesn't just say, hey, these people, they, they, they notice something. Look at verse 5. We have sinned. Look at verse 6. We have not listened. Look at verse, middle of, end of verse 8. Because we have sinned against you. End of verse 9. For we have rebelled against him. End of verse 11. We have sinned against him. Daniel's saying a lot of we. Now, here's what I know. If there's one guy that has been faithful to God, if there's one guy that has stood the test and the trials and the temptation of Babylon and has come out as righteous and faithful, I'm not saying he was perfect, but what we know about Daniel is for 70 years, he has stood on the front lines of, of the world's system against getting attacks, getting his life threatened. It didn't matter what was going on. He stood faithful to God. If there was one person that didn't need to say we, it was Daniel. Yet Daniel kept saying we. Nine times he says we. Why? Why is he saying we? Because Daniel knows something that moves God. What moves God is when the righteous stand in the gap for the unrighteous. God loves that. We see this happen throughout Scripture. We see this happen with Abraham. And, 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 and when God visits Abraham, says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. 
Abraham says, God, well, for the sake of 50, for the sake of 40, and he, and he negotiates down to 10 people. If there are 10 righteous people, God, in Sodom, will you not destroy it? God says, for the sake of 10. But really what God was doing is for the sake of your prayer, Abraham, I will honor, honor your request. We say the same thing happened on Mount Sinai when Moses is receiving the, the tablets of the law and the people are down in the valley and they start worshiping the golden calf, corrupting the worship of God, breaking the covenant. It has been days and they break the covenant with God. And God says, Moses, I've got to wipe them out. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Moses, no, 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 God, you wipe me. You take care of me. You, you, you wipe me out of, the, out of your book and let them live. But God, have mercy on these people. Let their punishment come upon me. And God's in his forbearance does not punish the people of Israel. We see Daniel doing the same thing here. God, we have sinned greatly. We have rebelled against you, even when he has not. And the greatest example of this is when Jesus came to earth, the righteous for the unrighteous, and he went to the cross because Jesus knew that in our sins, we do not deserve God's blessing. We do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve a relationship with him. And yet in God's love and mercy, Jesus took your sin and he took my sin and was our substitute and paid the penalty for your sins, died and rose against that we might have life in him. And I'll tell you what, we, when we understand what we deserve, and what God is looking for today is people who understand, I'm not looking for proud, arrogant Christians who think they're better than anyone else. What I'm looking for is people who understand the sinfulness. Maybe they're not partaking in all the sins, but they understand the sin of the land and saying, God, we, our nation has sinned greatly against you. God, when I see my family, God, our family, there's some things in our family I need to repent of. And we go to God. We're, God is looking for people who will stand in the gap, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that is an opportunity that we have in our nation today to do. Will we do it? So, so not only the prayer, praying prayers that move God are, are anchored in God's word, they, 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 are, uh, they, they acknowledge the depths of our sin, but number three, they appeal to God's mercy. They appeal to God's mercy. There's numerous times, three times he talks about pleading for mercy. Verse three, uh, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Look at verse nine, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Look at verse 17. Now therefore, O, o our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. Look at verse 18, midway through. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. He's saying this, that when you understand the depths of your sin, here's what you know. We don't deserve anything from God but punishment. But I do know this, God is a merciful God. We read that earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says, God is a God of mercy. And this idea of mercy we see throughout Scripture, that God is a merciful God. And, and the idea of mercy, in the most simplest terms I can explain it to you, mercy is the idea that you do not get what you deserve. That's what mercy is. I'll never forget when my dad taught me about mercy. 
Uh, I'm so glad some of you got a chance to, to hear my dad a couple weeks ago. And growing up in our household, my parents believed in spanking. And so when we were, what that meant is when we misbehaved and we did something wrong, it was, you know, they, we, we didn't have time out. We didn't have like, you know, stand in the corner. We, did, we, just, we just got whoopings. That's what we got, all right? And I, I know I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, taboo now, but that's what I grew up with. And so there was a moment, I'll never forget this. Uh, my brother and I, Chris, we get along great. We didn't really fight later on, but when we were younger, we fought a lot. And it would, you know, I don't know what it was over toys or something, but there was one time that we were messing around and it got bad enough that got mom angry. Whenever you got mom angry, you got dad angry. And when she got upset, dad got upset and we got, go, boys, go to my room. We knew, we knew what going to dad's, going to mom and dad's room meant. It meant we were going to get a whooping. And so we go there and, uh, you know, we're crying and I, I, I don't even, I'm probably like seven or eight years old. And so we're crying and my dad comes in and my dad would do the same thing. He had the, same, he had the system down pat. He'd go to us and say, do you boys know why you're in here? Yeah, we know why we're in here. You guys know, you know, you did something wrong? Yeah, we did something wrong. You, you understand you, you deserve a spanking? Yeah, we deserve a spanking. Because you didn't disagree that you deserve a spanking. You might get more swats if you disagreed that you didn't deserve a spanking. But in that moment, we, we were confessing, yes, we deserve spankings. And my dad says, I'm not going to spank you. I'm like, what? He says, I'm going to teach you a word about mercy. And mercy, you deserve a, You boys deserve a spanking right now because you did this, this, and this. But I'm not going to spank you because God is merciful to us. And he went into a full description of the gospel and why we need God's mercy. And he didn't spank us. Now, when, as an eight-year-old, I was like, man, I love mercy. <laughs> mercy is awesome. And, and as we get older, Listen, I think the more we understand God, the more we understand the depths of our sin, the more we understand God's character and love and forgiveness and goodness, man, mercy is wonderful. It's a beautiful gift that God's given to us. And there's, some, there's, there's two things about mercy I want you to understand. Number one, you don't have to ask God to be merciful. That's number one. You do not have to ask. God is merciful. Daniel is not asking God, God, please be merciful. No, no, he's saying, God, I'm appealing to your mercy. You already are merciful. I'm just asking you to apply your mercy. But the second thing that, about mercy that I love is, and, and this is so great about the Hebrew language. You know, if you, the Bible is written in, primarily in Greek and Hebrew. And, and Greek is very much like math. It's, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's got a system, it's got rules, and it's very easy to understand. But Hebrew is like art. And so I, what I love is about, you know, God, God in the scripture is written for both the right brain and the left brain. And what I love about this word, which is rahem, mercy, in the Old Testament, it's the same root letters for the word womb, the, the womb of a mother with child. And what, what God is painting this picture of mercy is that the same compassion the same feelings that, so, that a woman has for a child in her womb is the same compassion that God has for us. Man, that is an amazing picture. 
That's an amazing thought to think about, that, that God views us in, in, in infinitely greater ways. Because even if you think about how God has ordained and created humanity, creating women to be able to bear children the way that they are, to carry a child for nine months inside of them. God is doing something emotionally, knowing that in that moment, that, in, that those feelings and those, those thoughts and those emotions that, are, that God has given to women in those, in that, during that time period is a small sample of the way God feels about us. Man, what a God we serve. What a God we can appeal to, that God is merciful. Now listen, if there's any doubt in your mind that God is merciful, all you have to do is think about the cross of Jesus Christ. That in his mercy, God took on our punishment and instead gave to us his righteousness. That is how merciful God is. And when we are coming to God in our desperateness, in our hour of need, in our challenge, when things feel broken in us or around us, we need to appeal to the mercy of God. God, we don't deserve it. God, we know what we deserve. But I'm calling out to you because you are a merciful God. And would you act and move according to your character? That's what we need to be doing. So, so when we are praying prayers that, that move God and change us, they are anchored in God's word. They're acknowledging the depths of sin. They appeal to God's mercy. And finally, they appeal to God's glory. They appeal to God's glory. If you look in verse 15, there's a number of things that, that, that Daniel is leaning on to, uh, to approach God. Look what he says in, in, the, in verse 15. It says, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at this day. Saying, God, you, you rescued your, your people out of Egypt. For your namesake, you've done this, right? He's appealing to his glory. Look what else he says. Uh, it says in, in verse 16, Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Look at verse 17. Now therefore, O, o our God, listen to the prayer of your servants and the pleas for mercy for your own sake. Look at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do let, delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel is praying prayers. God, Daniel cares about this, what's going on, not for his own sake, not for his own comfort, not for his own benefit. He's saying, God, I want you to do this because your name and your glory matters more than anything else in this world. And if there's one thing that we need to be reminded of every single day as human beings, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we need to be reminded of this simple principle, that we need to live and do our everything for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. There's things that can creep into our lives when we start doing the things that we should do, but we do it for us. We do it for our own comfort. We do it for our own benefit. And here's what I know about my own life. There are times in my life where I've prayed prayers, praying good things, praying things that, that are righteous, but I'm praying them for my own benefit and not God's benefits. See, the Holy Spirit knows the motivation for why we pray. And, and, and what God has convicted me of this week more than anything else is, Ben, you need to be making sure that why you pray, it's about, 
It's about me and it's not about you. The reason I know that is because there's two reasons why I know that. Number one, Daniel was never going to benefit if God answered this prayer. He would not benefit personally. Daniel, we know he's working for the king. He, he can't just say, God, hey, hey, I'm going to go head back to Jerusalem. He had no choice in the matter. He was bound to, to be faithful to the king and his leadership for the rest of his life. So whether God blessed the people, uh, Jewish people, and sent them back into the land and rebuilt the temple, he would never see it with his own eyes. He would never get to experience the worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem again. But it wasn't about him. It was about God. The other reason why I know that is because here's why I love the seeing. I want to draw some, some connections between Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 6. We know in Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now we know this is the same Darius that we read about and studied about in Daniel chapter 6. And what I believe has happened is I believe that what, the, what is transpiring in Daniel chapter 9, this desperateness to pray, we actually get to see it lived out in Daniel chapter 6. For example, we know in Daniel chapter 6, first of all, Darius only reigned for a couple years. And it was somewhere along in the reign of Darius that Daniel had been elevated. He had gone through the, the process of earning the trust of Darius. And now he had gotten a raise he, or he had gotten a promotion. And so time had transpired. And people said, okay, these two guys that want to get rid of Daniel, they looked and said, the only way we get Daniel is if we get him about his, has to do with his worship of, of, his, of his God. And so what they do, they made a law that said, you can't pray to anyone but to the king. And Daniel went to his room, opened up the window, faced Jerusalem, and continued to pray. I believe the reason why Daniel didn't, didn't stop praying is because what he's praying here in Daniel chapter 9, he keeps praying. Daniel said, I would rather you kill me than to stop praying this prayer. Daniel would never get a chance to see it benefit himself personally. And Daniel was willing to put his life on the line than to stop praying this. That is dedication. And that is a level of worship that you and I need to look at and be like, whoa. That is, that is a commitment to the glory of God. I love it. I love this commitment from Daniel that he knows that he is appealing to God and saying, God, this is, this is about you. This is not about us. How often are we committed to praying for God, praying for his glory? I, listen, we, so many of us, we have, we have prayer ADD. We pray for something for a week and like, oh, I don't see anything happen, God. Prayer must not work, right? And what, what I believe we need to be doing is committing, saying it is about your glory. When we, are when we are consumed with the glory of God, we don't stop praying because we don't see it in our own timetable. Because the glory of God drives us to our knees over and over and over again. How will we pray? Listen, in, in summary, the, again, this is a template. This is the template, and this is the challenge I want to give you, all right? The template is this. Praying prayers that move God and change us require these, are these, four, these, these four segments. Number one, they are anchored in God's promises and in his word. Number two, they acknowledge the depths of our sin. 
Number three, they appeal to God's mercy. And number four, they appeal to God's glory. Guys, that's the template. And I don't know how desperate you are right now, but that is the prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to pray this template of prayer that, that God gives, that Daniel gives to us in his word for the next 30 days. If you prayed this for your family, if you prayed this for our nation, if you prayed this for yourself in whatever situation you're desperate in, what do you think God would do? I believe God would move. And I believe God would change us in the process. Number of questions, then we're done. Number one, excuse me. <coughs> Has the word shaped your prayers? Has the word shaped your prayers? Right? Let's let the word of God begin to shape our prayers. Let's pray this template that he's given to us. Number two, will you stand in the gap for your family and nation? Will you stand in the gap for your family and nation? There, God is looking for people, for the righteous to stand in the gap for the unrighteous and say, God, you got to do something here. We don't deserve it, but we're appealing to your mercy in this moment. And then number three, if God answered all your prayers, if you could think about all the prayers that you prayed, <laughs> over the last week, over the last month, who would benefit the most? Would it be the glory of God or would it be all about you? God is desperate to, for people to be desperate for him. And we need, to, we need to turn our hearts to him and say, God, we want to see you work and move like we've never seen you act and work and move before.